Father, you know what's going on in every life here and every life that's online right now. You know even the people that are on our hearts. Our prayer is, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Or release kingdom power for healing. Release kingdom power for deliverance and freedom. Lord, we pray, release kingdom power for bringing the lost to know you. Release your kingdom power today in our lives and the lives of those who are right now we're thinking about and we are praying about. Let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come even through the giving of your word, Lord. Let your kingdom come. We pray, Lord, that nobody would come here with a need that you don't somehow touch in some way today. Let your kingdom come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The man who wrote the hokey pokey <laughs> died recently. They had a real hard time trying to fit him in the coffin, though. It all started when they put his right leg in. <laughs> you put your right foot in, and take your right Now that song will be stuck in your head the rest of the day. You know, it would be a lot easier if life was like some kid's camp song. But that's not really what it's all about. Life is hard. Life is difficult. And most of us, quite frankly, would better relate to Job in the book of Job than we would to the hokey pokey. Job went through trials that were heart-wrenching. They were mind-blowing. They were soul-tormenting. And we know, because we've read the story, we know that Job was not being punished for something bad that he did. We know that Satan was trying to get Job to curse God, to deny God, to turn away from God. And we also know that God is allowing this test to take place and as God allows it to take place, God is sure that Job's loyalty will be able to withstand Satan's attacks. Now, we've been doing a series on the seven churches in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3. And we've seen so far that it is Satan's goal to undermine believers' loyalty to the Lord. His goal is our spiritual defection. And he uses different strategies and different tactics to try to bring that about. But that's always his ultimate goal, is to undermine our loyalty to Christ. Now, what we see in the book of Job is the same thing. Satan's goal is to undermine Job's loyalty to God. So he brings trials into Job's life to try to get him to turn away from God. And Job does get a little shaken up, but Job stays loyal to God. He stays devoted. He passes the test. And then God blesses him way beyond what he had before the test. He blesses him after the test. Now, there's some important things I think we, I just want to re remind you about the book of Job before we go into the sixth church of the seven churches, the book of Revelation. It's important things to remember about this story. Number one, in the book of Job, Satan 
we learn that Satan is our enemy and he wants to cause us to turn away from God. We learn this principle in the book of Job. The reason he wants to do that is because Satan hates God. He hates everything about God, everything that God blesses. He wants to somehow come against it. So he loves to try to make God's loyal servants do something, do anything that would smack a disloyalty to God and then stick it in God's face. That's what Satan wants to do. Number two, from the book of Job, we know that God will allow Satan and his minions to bring trials into our lives to test us. Third truth we know from the book of Job is that it matters to God that we pass the test. It matters to God that we pass the test and stay true to God by keeping faith in God even in the midst of a difficult trial. And the fourth truth I think from the book of Job we ought to keep in mind before we go to our study is that God rewards those who pass the test. He always does. You pass the test by keeping faith in the midst of the trial. Now, also from the book of Job, we learn that there are several kinds of trials that God might allow the devil to bring into your life. Something terrible might happen to your children. Something terrible might happen to your livelihood. Something terrible might happen to your possessions. Something terrible might happen to your health. And you might end up having an unsupportive and even harassing spouse. God allowed all those things to happen to Job. And God may allow some of those things to happen to you. Now, with all that in mind, I now want us to continue our series in the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Today, we're looking at the sixth church, the Church of Philadelphia. And actually, this morning, I want to focus on one key verse, and we're going to work our way to it in just a moment. But the key verse I want us to focus on is Revelation chapter 3, verse 11. Revelation chapter 3, verse 11, Jesus says this, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have in order that no one take your crown. Now, the church in Philadelphia was undergoing trials. Some of the trials were quite severe. So in order for us to really understand what they were going through, we need to back up and let's start at the beginning of Jesus' address to this church in verse 7 of Revelation 3. Let's read it. Revelation 3, verse 7, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, <clears throat> shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this. So Jesus now is described, in fact, he describes himself as the one who has the key of David. In Revelation chapter 5, 5, and Revelation twenty two sixteen, part of good Bible study, is you'd want to see what that means. And you'd find out that David symbolizes the role of the Messiah. And then a key, you'd want to study what, how a key is used in the Bible. You could look up key in the Bible dictionary. You look up key in a concordance. <clears throat> and you discover that key in Scripture represents authority. Whoever holds the key has control. In Revelation 1.18, it says that Jesus has the keys 
to death and hell. That means he is shown to have, he's also shown to have here in this passage the keys to salvation and blessing. What does that mean? That means that he's in control. He's in control of who dies and who goes to hell. He's in control of who lives and who goes to heaven. He has the keys. He's in control. He's in control of blessings and cursings. He is in control of everything that really matters. He's got the keys. Also, it says Jesus is the one who opens and no one will shut, and he is the one who shuts and no one opens. So no one can shut the doors to the kingdom or to blessing if he holds them open. Nobody can shut them. And no one can force them open if he holds them shut because he's in control. Verse 8, Revelation 3, Jesus goes on to say, I know your deeds. He's speaking to the church in Philadelphia. Remember, this is a message to the churches down through history even. I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door, which no one can shut because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Verse 9, behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I'll make them to come and bow down at your feet and to know that I have loved you. We now begin to get a little bit of an idea of what kind of trials the church in Philadelphia was facing. They were undergoing persecution by the Jews in that city. Now, the Jews in that city, Jesus says, were Jews physically, but not spiritually. They were Jews, they were, the reason they, they were Jews physically, because they, they, they follow the genealogy down from Abraham physically, but they were not spiritually because they persecuted the church. They didn't believe in Jesus as Messiah. They persecuted the church. And that's why Jesus calls them the synagogue of Satan, because they're doing the work of Satan by persecuting believers. But the church, in the midst of all that pressure and all, that, all, that, all those trials, did not deny Christ. They kept his word. They were small. It's a small church. They were poor. But Jesus said they had a little power. In fact, they had enough power to make an impact on the whole city. And Jesus says that he's holding a door open for them. The door that Jesus is holding open for them is the door of opportunity for ministry. And that particular ministry was that many of the Jews who were persecuting them were actually going to come to faith. They're going to realize how wrong they were, and they're going to come and ask for forgiveness. And they're also going to turn to Jesus as the true Messiah. It's interesting that sometimes the ones that you think are furthest away from Christ will come to Christ and then be some of the most radical disciples. Of course, we see that in the life of the Apostle Paul. I saw something similar in the life of my older brother, Mark. After I became the first believer in my family, I shared the gospel with my whole family constantly. And my brother, Mark, I... I shared the gospel with him for many, many years. He was very hostile about it. And he would tell me time and time again to shut up, leave him alone. One time we were on an airplane on the way to Chicago because our grandfather had died and he was in the window seat and I was in the middle. I thought I got him now. (laughs) I got two and a half hours. I started to talk to him about Jesus and he just turned to me 
And you got to understand, my brother was a boxer. He turned to me with his fist and he said, if you don't talk to me about Jesus anymore. So the rest of the airplane, I kept quiet. <laughs> 20 years later, from time to time I got to talk to him, but he's always resistant. But every Thanksgiving or Christmas when we'd make our trip over to where my parents uh, lived at the time and the family would all kind of gather there, me and my two brothers and the nephew would go play golf. So my brother was taking me, and we were meeting my other brother and nephew at the golf course, and we're driving along. As we're driving to the golf course, my brother keeps talking about how wonderful Jesus is. He's going on and on about Jesus. Now, I need to back up a little bit because during that 20 years of praying, my brother had developed a business partner who happened to be a part-time Baptist preacher. Then he had a third person to the team, another business partner. He also was a part-time Baptist preacher. So I told my brother one time, I said, you're surrounded. <laughs> Anyways, we're on the way to the golf course, and he is talking about Jesus, what Jesus has done for them, him and how great Jesus is. And, and I finally just looked at him and said, okay, who are you really? Where's my brother? <laughs> but Jesus was after him. And Jesus got, because when Jesus opens, he opens doors that no one can close. By the way, I think in reality, Jesus has probably opened some doors right now, holding open some doors for some in this room or some online for ministry. And the question is, are you going to walk through those doors or not? And some of you, even as I say that, you know he's, that's, that's you. He's opened a door of opportunity for ministry for you. Will you take it? It'll take faith and courage, but will you take it? Well, let's read on verse 10. Jesus goes on to say, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing. That hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. So they kept the word of his perseverance. They persevered faithfully through all these trials, these difficulties. And because they passed those many tests, those many trials, they kept the faith. Jesus promises them that they, that he will spare them from the ultimate test. Kind of like if you took a course, many of you took courses in college or high school like this. If you did real good on all the assignments and you passed all the tests, that somehow you don't have to take the final exam. You're exempt from the final. You passed all these tests, so you don't have to take the ultimate test. Now, the sweeping nature of the promise that Jesus makes here goes, extends far beyond the church of Philadelphia. It encompasses all, encompasses all faithful churches all throughout history. This verse promises that the faithful church will be delivered from the wrath of God in the book of Revelation. The Bible teaches there's going to be the rapture of the church. We'll meet the Lord in the air. This will happen before the Lord pours his wrath out upon the earth. The wrath that comes with the trumpet and the bold judgments. Sometimes you need to understand prophecy. Sometimes when a word is given prophetically, we see this throughout the Old Testament, there's a mountain, the word's fulfilled in one mountaintop and then there's another mountaintop beyond it that it also applies to, as in this case. 
Revelation 3.11, he says, I'm coming quickly, hold fast what you have in order that no one take your crown. So the church had been faithful, and now he urges them to remain faithful and says, don't let anyone take your crown, which is an interesting thought. What crown is he talking about? Should be our first question. Well, back in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, he tells us about this crown. Let's just read Revelation 2.10. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison that you may be tested and you'll have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful until death and I'll give you the crown of life. So it's not, so the, the crown is also called the crown of life here in this context. Jesus talking to the churches in Revelation. Now, what do we know about the crown of life? Well, again, you'd want to see where else that phrase is used, crown of life in the Bible. And we know it. Where else it is used in James chapter 1, verse 12. It says, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he'll receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So the crown of life is given to the person who perseveres under trial and passes the test. He's approved because he continues in faith, in loyalty in the midst of the trial. That's how you pass the test. You keep faith during the trial. And it pleases God when we pass the test and keep faith. Remember, Hebrews eleven six: without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe he is, that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. So faith pleases God. So we pass the test by keeping faith in the midst of the trial. But this, he says, if you do that, no one steals your crown. But apparently this is a crown that can be, can be stolen. It can be taken away. Revelation 3.11, he says, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have in order that no one take your crown. This is a crown that can be taken away. Taken away by whom? Well, it can be taken away by the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal. And to kill and destroy, Jesus says, I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. So the devil, the accuser of the brethren, wants to take away every blessing that God wants to bestow. The devil wants to somehow take it away. He wants us to lose our crown and not to stand firm in the midst of the trial. He wants us to not stand firm in the midst of the trial because he wants us to deny the Lord. He wants us to deny the goodness of God. He wants us to be disloyal to the Lord. Remember, again, that's his strategy. His strategy, he wants to undermine loyalty to Jesus Christ. That's what the devil wants to do. He wants us to deny Christ. And then he wants to stick it in God's face and say, they just love you for what you give them anyway. That's what he wanted to do in Job's life. And that's what he wants to do in your life and my life. He's the accuser of the brethren. The devil is, Revelation twelve ten. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them before our God day and night. So now we know it's not only Job the devil wants to accuse before God. He's busy accusing believers before God day and night. So he wants to get you and me to falter in our faith. 
He wants to get us to turn away from God in the midst of trial. And then he wants to take that lack of faith and that even that disloyalty, and he wants to stick it in God's face and see, here's another one that only loves you for what you give them. They don't love you for you. So let me just ask you, what kind of trials are you going through? Just think about it for a moment. What trials are you going through today? Now, every one of us is either in a trial or we just got out of one or we got one coming around the corner. So what kind of trials are you in the midst of right now? Does it have to do with your children? It did with Job. Does it have to do with your livelihood? It did with Job. Does it have to do with your, you know, your possessions? It did with Job. Does it have to do with your health? It did with Job. Does it have to do with it having an unsupportive or even harassing spouse? It did with Job. There is this bird. His name was Chippy. Chippy the parakeet. One day he was peacefully perched in his cage. And then the next day he was sucked in, washed up, and blown over. What happened was, is Chippy's owner decided to clean out the cage with a vacuum cleaner. So Chippy's owner took off the, the different attachment and sucked the end of, carefully, the end of the hose in Chippy's cage. But then the phone rang and she turned quickly to get the phone in. And Chippy got sucked in. She gasped, she hung up the phone, she quickly opened up the vacuum cleaner and got a little chippy out and he was all covered with dust. And so she did, so she did what any good owner would do. She ran to the faucet and poured water on him. And then after he was wet and cold and shivering, she wanted to stop that. She got a blow dryer and blew hot air on him. <laughs> Poor chippy never knew what hit him. This is a true story, by the way, and a reporter covered it and then he called later on to ask how Chippy was doing. And uh, the owner said, well, Chippy doesn't sing anymore. <laughs> Chippy just sits and stares. It's hard not to see why. Sucked in, washed up, blown over. But I say that because I think some of you feel like Chippy today. Some of you feel like you've just been through it. And there's not much of a song in you anymore. My question to you is, will you persevere? Will you keep faith in the midst of a trial you don't even understand? Will you stay loyal to Christ in the midst of this trial that you are facing? It's a test. God's watching, and it matters to God that we pass the test. What's interesting, if you study the history of the church in Philadelphia, they did persevere. In fact, long after the surrounding country, of, which eventually would be Turkey, was under the control of Islam, Muslim control, the church of Philadelphia actually held out as a Christian population until 1392 for hundreds of years under extreme pressure they kept the faith. 
So the question, of course, for us is how, how about you? Will you keep the faith? Will you persevere in the midst of what you're going through? Now, remember, God is still in control even in the midst of our trial we're going through. God was still in control when Job was going through his trial. He was still in control. God's in control of the situation that you're going through. He's in control still. And he makes his promise. Many of you hold on to this promise in the midst of trials. I know I do. Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that God causes all things, and I, I think all things is worth underlining, all things, including that thing, to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And, of course, even the next verse tells us that part of what he is working for our good is us being transformed more and more to the image of Christ. He brings trials into our lives as part of a curriculum to cause us to grow and mature. It is the curriculum of God to bring about maturity in us. It includes trials as curriculum. In fact, James chapter 1, verse 1 through four, uh, 2 through 4 tells us, James 1, 2 through 4, Consider it all joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials. Why? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, as you may perfect, be perfect and complete or mature, lacking in nothing. So we all say, yeah, I want to grow. I don't mean, want to be mature. Well, here's the curriculum. It includes trials. It's interesting. On December 29, 1987, <clears throat> there was a Soviet cosmonaut that returned to Earth after being uh, in orbit for 326 days. And they were, they were amazed at how good health he had because that had not been the case before then. In fact, there had been uh, five years earlier, there was a, after 211 days in orbit, two cosmonauts came back with horrible health. They were dizzy. They had high pulse rates. They had heart palpitations. They couldn't walk for a week. And after 30 days, they still were undergoing therapy because they had so much atrophy and their muscles not being used and weakened hearts. Because at zero gravity, the muscles in the body begin to waste away. Why? Because there is no resistance. No resistance, no exercise. So what did the Russians do? Before they launched this last cosmonaut in 1987, they made something called a penguin suit. They developed a special kind of suit, running suit, that had these elastic bands in it, so every movement, there had to be resistance to every movement that the cosmonaut made. And apparently that worked because when he got back, he was strong, he could walk, he could do all kinds of things, and he was in good health. See, the truth is we all kind of long dreamily for days when there's no more difficulty. And we just want everything to go easy with God in our life. And God knows better. He knows that if our life is so that easy that we will become weak spiritually because it requires resistance. Any kind of strength that grows requires resistance for it to grow. Physically, we see it, obviously. Mentally, it is also true, and it is also true spiritually. There's nothing wasted in God's economy. Even in the midst of a trial coming into your life with the enemy's intention of trying to get you to deny Christ in the midst of the trial, deny the goodness of God, deny the Lord in the midst of it, even in the midst of that, God will even take that situation. He's so in control, he takes that situation and still turns it for our good and causes us to grow. So the focus of this passage really is keeping the faith in the midst of trials so that no one steals your crown. 
Don't let the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy steal your crown. Persevere. Keep the faith in the trial. And if you do, there's great reward. Revelation 3.12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. I write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from out of heaven from my God and my new name. So Christ now promises four eternal blessings to the one who overcomes. First of all, Christ says he'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He will not go out from it anymore. It's interesting. The area of Philadelphia, this part of Turkey, even today was known for its many earthquakes and people would run out of buildings so they wouldn't fall down on them. In fact, even the lightest tremor would cause everyone to get out of the buildings. They're held up by these giant pillars and fear that everything would cave in on them. But the, for the future, the overcomer who stands firm in the midst of trials, he will be solid, secure, and safe forever. And then Christ will write on him the name of my God. This depicts, again, the name of his God is written on us because we belong to him. It's a picture of ownership. It's the picture of a relationship, a nearness. One of the things that the emperor did, the emperor actually renamed this city because he had great love for his brother. He named the city Philadelphia. But there is a name that is going to be put on us, and it's the name of God because we belong to him. And he's also going to write on them the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from God. We see this in Revelation chapter 21. We have eternal citizenship in heaven. That's where we belong. There's a place the Lord has, has made for us, and this is where we will live. It will be the center, of this, the center of this entire new heavens and new earth. And then Christ promises his new name, which is interesting, very interesting. In heaven, believers, we are going to see Christ. We are going to see Christ just as he is. And whatever we've known of him before is not going to even compare with the reality of what we'll see when we see him face to face. And this new name, which we'll be privileged to call him, is going to reflect this glorious revelation of who he is. It's going to be awesome. Awesome. So there's great reward for passing the test, keeping the faith in the midst of whatever trial you're going through. And some of you are going through some tough ones right now. And some of you are saying, I'm, I'm trying, I'm holding on, but I'm, I tell you what, I'm having a hard time. I'm having a hard time holding on in the midst of this trial. And that's what we're going to pray for as we close. Pray for you, that you will hold on. You will keep the faith. You will not let your crown be taken. So let's all stand together. Tony's going to come up here and sing a, a song over us. Father, you know every trial that's going on in every life here in this room, every life that's online right now, you know every trial. You know those of us who are in the midst of a very difficult trial, and, and we really just need you to fortify a faith, to strengthen us today, to stay true and not to give in, not to begin to doubt, not to lose faith, not to deny you, not to turn away from you. So, Lord, we ask you that you would just cause this to be a time where by the power of your spirit you would strengthen us in our inner man, our inner woman. Strengthen us that we would continue to hold on to faith in the midst of what we're going through. So if that's you, and you don't need to explain the trial to anybody, if that's you, whatever the trial is, you say, I just, 
I need some prayer today to hold on, to stay true, to miss the trial. And come on up here. We're going to pray for you. We're in this thing together, guys, all of us. It just happens to be that you're in one right now. Some of us will be in one next week. All right? If that's you, come on down. And let's pray for you as Tony sings this song. By the way, as they come in for prayer, just some of you begin to come out and just lay a hand on the shoulder and begin to pray for them as well. Okay? We're not having to explain the trial. You don't have to explain it. We know you're going through a trial. We know what you need. You need the Holy Spirit to strengthen you right now. Strengthen your faith. So just come if you need prayer for that. And I know there's many of you guys. Just come. Receive prayer. Blessed be your name in a land that is plentiful where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place. Though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. And the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, blessed be the name of the Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me, when the world's all as it should be. Blessed be your name. And blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. Though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. Every blessing. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to prayer. Father, we ask you to pour out your Holy Spirit upon all those right now who are just looking to you for strength. 
Let your strength be poured out upon them, Lord. Let faith rise up in them strong. Let the faith rise up in them. For all of us, Lord, pour out your spirit upon us. Lord, that we would keep the faith in the midst of the trial. Oh, Lord, that our crown would not be taken away, that we would overcome the enemy's attempts to cause us to be disloyal to Christ, oh, Lord. So, Lord, would you pour out your spirit on us, fill us, strengthen us all today, and use us, Lord, this week. Lord, I pray for just that you would hold open doors now of opportunity for ministry for all of us this week in the name of Jesus.